This episode is brought to you by who else but Odeon. I love an Odeon, especially an Odeon Lux. Whether I'm on the red carpet at a movie premiere or popping down to my local cinema, the feeling is always the same. Pulling open the door to hear the huge, spine-tingling Dolby Atmos sound bellowing from within. The irresistible glow of the gigantic 4K iSense screen drawing you towards it, four times sharper to capture every detail. Relaxing into those luxurious reclining seats and feeling that sense of anticipation as you excitedly sip on your favourite tipple before emerging at the end of the film trying to put into words what you've just experienced. It's nothing short of magic. You can book your Odeon Lux experience at odeon.co.uk or on the Odeon app. They say, we make movies better, and I couldn't agree more. Also, just before we head to our fantastic virtual cinema, how would you like a pair of tickets to head to a fantastic and very real cinema? Because the lovely people at Odeon have handed us a pair of tickets to give away every show. So, if you'd like the chance to head to your nearest Odeon and enjoy a movie, all you need to do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'll explain more at the end of the show. Finally, if you like to watch your interviews rather than listen, you can find the full video interviews in glory Technicolor over on our trip to the movies Patreon. And if you want a little taster of what those videos are like, why not subscribe to our trip to the movies a YouTube channel where we put little clips of each interview on there. Okay, back to this episode. If you're ready, let's do this. Hello and welcome to A Trip to the Movies, the podcast where each week a special guest takes us on an incredible journey as they curate their perfect night out at our fantastic virtual cinema. This week, we are joined by the founder of the British Short Film Awards, which just celebrated its second year with a wonderful live event in London, rewarding some of the best short films and filmmakers from the last 12 months. On top of that, he's an amazing aerial photographer who has hung out of helicopters with his camera on every corner of the planet, taking us on today's trip to the movies it's the supremely talented mr tommy clark tommy hello hello alex thank you very much for having me what an introduction thank you it's it's great to see you again now obviously we'll just we'll just get this out of the way i i know you because i did host the british short film awards you kindly did yeah um which was bloody lovely thank you for having me um let me ask where the idea for this competition which as i said just celebrated its second year where did the idea come from well, um, I made my first short film about, gosh, where are we now? Probably about three years ago um, and did the festival circuit um, and did the award circuit. And by the end of it, I kind of felt it was that year when the, the BAFTAs um, put the, the short film award off the TV. The, the um, Oscars did the same. I just had that feeling that sort of short films were getting pushed to the side. And I think it's such an art form that, um, I sat down with a few friends and thought, actually, could I have a crack at, at making an own um, an awards just purely to celebrate short films? And and we went for it. It was received really well. And um, of course, you've kindly come and hosted us for a couple of years now. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's like you say, it's it's such a, a valuable way. As far as I, I I can tell from the experience of I've had talking to uh, the filmmakers uh, at the event. It's such a great way to get the practical skills of of making film, of the filmmaking process. Because it's one thing a lot of a lot of courses at universities do tackle the theory, but to actually get the hands on experience, you need to be making the films yourself. A hundred percent. You've you've got to get your hands dirty, and it really, if you're making short films, there's never going to be a film that you make that you're not going to learn a hell of a lot from. And we've had people submit their their first, second, third, and fourth short film, and to see the the progression they make within those um, movie making moments uh, it, it's outstanding. They, they, we just amazingly the one the film that won our uh, best short film and the jury award this year has just been nominated for an Oscar. Uh, Tom and Ross, <laughs> oh, wow. who you, you handed over the award to yesterday morning, they got announced as uh, a nom- nominee at the Oscars and the Baftas this year. So we're we're mixing with the right people. We've got the right people submitting. Um, and it's just amazing that we can give a little bit more of a, of, a, of a shout out to these people that are making outstanding films. That's absolutely fantastic. I didn't know that. That's yeah. brilliant news. Wow. So 
Tell me, I mean, you say you, you, you sat down with some friends and you discussed whether there was an opportunity in the, the landscape of award shows to reward short films specifically. Like, how difficult is it? Like, I, I, I mean, obviously, you spot the gap in, in, in the market. You see an opportunity. You think, actually, this is going to benefit people. This is going to be a great idea. How difficult is it to get that off the ground, though? Um, if, if I'm honest, the, yeah, the, the idea is the easy bit. Um, it, it, it comes then with funding and actually the... the the only sort of benefit of what we had during um, the, the COVID sort of lockdowns is that we could put on a small-ish show and it wouldn't cost the earth to put it on. But then we came to last year when we had to do our first in-person thing and we realized that, gosh, this is going to cost thousands and thousands of pounds to rent a venue that can host everyone, to get enough drinks, to get um, everything sorted, transport for things. Uh, we had um, sign language interpreters. And suddenly the bill is just um, astronomical. So the hardest thing is finding the right sponsors that will come on board, that have the right view, um, the right vision as you do, um, and ultimately get enough people to, to submit to want to be a part of it. And then if those all magically align, you'll only make a small loss like we, we did. <laughs> There's no way we're making a profit for many, many moons. But um, we never started out to do that. So the hardest thing really is... Uh, is is finding the funding to get it going because there are platforms we use film freeway which kind of it brings the filmmakers and the festivals and awards together so there's that easy submission platform so we use them but um yeah it, it, it's it was a, a bigger undertaking than than i realized that sort of feeling creative during lockdown thinking i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna start a film awards i think that's the right thing to do and then a few years later thinking <laughs> gosh i've got a lot of work to do to get this to keep this going but the rewards must be like tenfold. Uh, well, obviously, you know, you're, 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 you're certainly not making a profit at the moment. The reward of actually meeting these filmmakers and, and being able to talk to them, because like you say, we did one in COVID, so there was no opportunity to do that. But to, to actually stand and, and chat to some of these creative people who have put these films, have submitted these films, some of which won awards, was it quite a rewarding experience for you talking with them? Incredibly. And I think like I mentioned um of uh, Tom and Ross, who just picked up the the Oscar nomination, moments like that, that um, when they reached out after their first film, and and we then decided to set up the uh, a film fund. So any money that we did make, we funneled straight back into supporting um, young filmmakers, be it people making their first short film, or we had a, a, an Oscar winner submitted for funding as well. And the, the most rewarding is seeing those people have the opportunity to make short films themselves with our help from the submissions that are coming in from the sponsors that are helping. So um, it's sort of a full circle. And, and that first evening, it was the first chance we'd actually ha had to meet a lot of the filmmakers and, and to chat to them. And I've chatted to so many over email and Instagram over the course of a couple of years and to meet them in person, have a beer, have a chat and see what they're up to and see what who they're working with. And then say, oh, this director, you should meet this actor. And then suddenly they start chatting their Instagram friends. You see they might be working on something. And we're hoping to create a little sort of grassroots hotbed of, of short film talent that, oh gosh, in, in 10 years, if I could look, flick on the BAFTAs and see if two or three faces that I knew we put together, it would just make it all completely worthwhile for me. Let's look ahead to, uh, to, to next year. Um, are, are you in a position to talk about when submissions open and, and, and how people can enter, or is it still too early at, at this we stage? We are literally, um, we had a meeting this morning about it. We are slightly streamlining it. As you may have remembered from the last awards, we had 400 and something categories. As you know, <laughs> we had a few, quite a few categories. Um, we did additional categories, and then we had principal categories. We're actually going to streamline and go just towards the principal category side of it so uh, there's going to be um not so many uh on the sort of satellite categories um and we'll go for just the big ones um make it more manageable for us we're quite a small team that run it and then uh, we'll be opening uh submissions in february for that okay submissions in february and they just need to go to the british short film awards website they can google that people can google absolutely. that if they want to get involved yeah absolutely uh, now, I, I, I want to touch on this because I, I mentioned it in the introduction and I, uh, I honestly, I, I didn't know this until you told me uh, on the night when you were like, oh, by the way, this is something else I do. This aerial photography, I've now, I, I've now done my uh, due diligence and had a look <laughs> at some of your work and I would encourage anyone to uh, pop onto your Instagram, uh, tommy.clark um, with an E and, um, and take a look at some of it. So tell me how you got into um, this aerial photography because it's, it's not something... I didn't even know it was a thing that people did or could do. 
Yeah, it's, it's a niche. Well, particularly to do it the old-fashioned way. Well, I, I started it. Um, I was living out in Australia working. I say working, trying to work as a fashion photographer and just getting nowhere. And I surf and I was living right by the beach and I was taking beach photos and thought this isn't quite giving me like the sort of reward I wanted from it. Um, and there was a sports photographer I'd seen had taken some photos of skiers from above. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool with those skiers from above. What if I shot a beach from above? And then I called up a, a local um, helicopter tour agency and said, could I take some photos from a helicopter? And it, they said, yes, but it completely bankrupted me. Like genuinely, it's every pound I had, every do- Australian dollar I had, I put into this one shoot and thought it's either going to work or not. A storm came through on the day. It was really wavy seas. And I thought I just wasted everything. Um, and then through my fashion agent, fashion photography agent, uh, Facebook, no, Australia, Vodafone. That was it. Vodafone bought the photos <laughs> for a campaign um, two days after. And it, that paid for my life for a year. And I thought, wow, this is, this is something to go for. So um, that funded a load more shoots. And um, I got to go to uh, Iceland, Utah, um, gosh, San Francisco. Where else have I been shooting? All parts of Australia. Montanique, yeah, a long list of places, hanging out of helicopters. But it kind of all started before drones. So there wasn't that, um, you didn't flick on Instagram and see another top-down view of a beach or a rainforest. Like, that hadn't been done. So luckily, I snuck in before that and made a bit of a career um, and then fell in love with filmmaking, to be honest. So that's kind of, that's slightly gone to the side and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm loving films and, and, and doing more, much more of that, yeah. It's specifically the coast that you that you you photographed, though, isn't it? I I, I do I do love like the the uh, the complete difference between coastlines. You've got these beautiful sun kissed beaches, and then you've got these rugged cliffs and, and yeah. all of that. It's it's lovely. It's it, it's a place I've always felt an affinity towards. I grew up on the south coast of England, down near sort of Bournemouth way. So every holiday was surfing. Every holiday was to the beach, um, boating, fishing. So that part of of the, the country of the world, those coastlines, it's kind of it's my happy place. And now that I'm out here on a on a Caribbean island, it is uh, just yeah, a lot of happiness on my doorstep here. So to photograph that is a, is a very happy process for me. And I think I'm at the point of my life of, of thinking happiness comes first, but health and happiness. Right then, let's do this. It's time okay. to head to our virtual cinema, Tommy. You're about to take us on your perfect night out at the cinema. You are our guide. We are your audience. Let's go on a trip to the movies. So we push open the doors to our temple of film and find ourselves in the foyer. There's an excited buzz as there always is in a cinema foyer, the hum of anticipation. It's your perfect cinema trip, Tommy. Who have you picked, living or dead, to go with you? Uh, absolutely no one, if I'm if I'm truly honest with you, Alex. Um, I know I have to say my fiance, and I told her this before the, doing this with you, was that I know that I'm going to have to say her because I've got to be polite and we share a house. But I'm one of those people that I just love to be in a cinema or watching a film on my own, no distractions, no noise, no people talking, no people on their phones or walking past and... I think I just love to sit there and to be completely engrossed in what's happening in front of me. So I'm going to say my, my fiance Sigrid, but um, she secretly knows that I want to go, go on my own to the same. <laughs> but you're taking Sigrid. Yeah. You ta- you're definitely taking Sigrid. And, and tell me, have you, have you had a discussion? Is there no way you can find some common ground where you can go together and, and, and it'll be fine and, and there will be no distraction? And, and- <laughs> I think the benefit is that she falls asleep through every single movie we watch. And then she'll do the classic wake up and say, oh, well, what's happening? And then I've got to sort of pause it and have that moment go... <laughs> Okay, well, I'm just going to recap the last 25 <laughs> minutes. Then she'll fall asleep again. And it's just that it's, it's, it's a routine that is fine for her. But it's just, I just want to sit there. I, I, we've got a two-year-old, so I don't get a lot of time to myself. So the thought of going to a ginormous cinema, sitting in the middle and having it all to myself is just, actually, that sounds like heaven. Do, do you like the same movies, though? When you, when you watch films together, is it, that, is it that she falls asleep because she doesn't like the kind of movies you like or, or, <laughs> or you, you, you force her to watch, you know, a, a, a horror movie and she's not into horror? I, you know, I've, I've pushed a few horrors. Um, 
I don't think I've made it through five minutes with her until she sort of gives that look of being like, nah, not for me. So yeah, I, I think this sort of goes back to why if I, if this is my perfect night, I can choose any movie. I don't have to think, what have I got to do to sort of be polite so she she's happy as well. But, um, but she, yeah, of course I she's there, but I'm going to say she, she'll fall asleep so I can watch her I can't. I can't decide if you've had your arm twisted or you're being chivalrous, but you are taking your fiance Sigrid with you. Thank you. There is a clock on the wall of the foyer. It reads a specific time. What time of day have we gone to the cinema? Okay. Well, this it also slightly um, goes back to the first question: is that I do like quite empty cinemas. So, in my days of being an uh, out of work photographer in London, I used to go to the Odeon in Leicester Square on my own at about sort of midday-ish, thinking that's probably when it's going to be the quietest. And I'd sit in that sort of glorious cinema, watch something that well, I d- didn't really matter what was on, really. I just like the, just the atmosphere of, of sitting there in a, like an old theatre with the sound system right and the screen being so big that you just have to look everywhere for it. So um, I'm going to say about midday, if I'm going to hope that Sigurd will stay awake for the, the entirety of the movie, that's our best chance. Midday, so so you you really do like a quiet cinema. You don't want any distractions. You do you, do you not miss sometimes the communal cinema experience? That kind of the the, the infectious nature of laughter or tears when the yes. whole room is feeling the same thing as you. I do, and there's definitely a certain genre that um, I'd want to go and sort of experience it with uh, with a big group, sort of the. Oh, the Star Wars-esque movies, when you want to have those moments where everyone gasps or there's that one line where everyone just knows that little um, Easter egg is going to be in there that someone says something. Those moments, yes, for sure. I think I just, I've had too many bad experiences of going to a clap and picture house and just you're the only person there wanting to watch the film and, and no one else is caring for it. They're just there with 17 parallels inside them and want to chat. And you just think, I just want to watch this film. <laughs> Uh, okay, I, I I totally understand where you're coming from. So you're going to the cinema at midday. Now yeah. you've booked the tickets for us. So when we get into the auditorium, hmm. where are we sitting? So it's, I'm thinking we're, we're Leicester Square, so it's a big one. Uh, the, the central aisle, but on the aisle seat. I think I've, I've got to. It's the same with, with flying. I've got to the point where I don't like to ask someone permission to go to the bathroom. I like to sit there, and if I need to go for a wee. I'm going to just let myself go. I don't want to have to crawl over eight people to get there. So central to get a good view, but also on the edge uh, so that I, I, I'm not at the mercy of someone else's needs. I 100% respect that. <laughs> I don't hear that answer often enough. I will tell you, uh, you we, because I am with you on this, yeah. are in a minority. Most people most people uh, will sit in the center and they – People have questioned my my uh, my bladder size. If I'm honest, Tommy, if I'm going to be completely <laughs> honest with you, and I'm like, I don't think it's that abnormal in a two and a half hour movie, yeah. which most of them are these days, to go. Yeah. I might need to go to the toilet. I'm with you. I'm with you. When we next go to the cinema, we can sit the other side of the aisles, and we can just wave at each other with that knowing nod, being like, "Yeah, we can go to the bathroom when everyone." And also, you want to have that we, ginormous coke as well. There, you want you want to have the drink, and you know you're going to need to go. Yeah, I, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I don't want the social anxiety of being, you know, three, four deep into a row and just going. Yeah. I, I'm going to have to not just ask them once when I leave, yeah. but ask them to move again uh, when I come back. That's the worst I don't one know. thing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I'm six foot two, so if I stand up, I've got the projector across my face. <laughs> The whole of the screen is covered. I've ruined the whole experience for 150 people. It's like when the T Rex in Jurassic Park comes in and blocks the thing. Yeah, that's me. And with this amount of All hair right. as well, I'm blocking absolutely everything. <laughs> <laughs> A big hairy curtain across yeah. the screen. Lovely. Right. So you're sitting on the aisle. Also, halfway back, I think. Um, I've had <laughs> I've got enough neck pains and back pains that sitting too close to the front. Is, is never never a good option for me. So sort of mid, mid middle everything, but on the aisle. Okay, it's uh, I'm a, I'm a fan of your seat <laughs> choice, Tommy. I'm a fan. <laughs> All right, the air in the foyer. This is the last thing we're going to do before we leave the foyer. We're going to embrace the wonderful smells in the foyer. Every manner of food stuff is available at the various counters. What do you choose to eat? I'm going to be judged, but I think I'd take a quick hot dog to start with. You know those ones that are like continuously rolling on that heater. Mm-hmm. You see them. You you know 
there's no like full confirmation of what meat is inside it or meat of any any type. But they just they just glisten at me, and then you know that you can have the mustard and and, and ketchup top on it. And it's just to get the juices flowing, really. It's just sort of a warm-up act, just to get the excitement levels just bristling. I'd, I'd, that would be bought and consumed before before leaving the foyer area. You are going for a cinema hot dog. Yeah, which is why I like the bathroom breaks, I think. That's probably why I <laughs> to sit on the edge so much, because the hot dog... Uh, <laughs> Having, having never purchased a cinema hot dog, uh, yeah. just talk me through the uh, the available toppings. Is it just your classic ketchup and mustard, or are, are there well, options of onions you'd hope on these that things? There's, there's onion two ways. You'd want those sort of like braised. That sounds too good for what they are, like long cooked onions, or <laughs> the or those like crispy ones. And if you can get both, and then you do the the wiggly lines of um, mustard and ketchup, it's on a par with the the IKEA hot dogs, which are probably the, the best in the world they're pretty good right they're, <laughs> they're pretty good okay good. okay having never I, if that's if, if that's what we're comparing it to having never had a cinema hot dog but having had an ikea hot dog in my life yeah. I, I i get you i get you yeah um yeah all right so you ha- you're having a hot dog uh with all the toppings onions two ways and yeah. me- me- a ketchup and mustard so yeah. um are you going for a drink Big time, because you've got to really wash down the hot dog, because it's it's not easy to swallow those sorts of hot dogs because of the gristle in them. Um, it's going to be a, probably a ginormous Diet Coke, um, which I guess we're just going to keep going back to the bathroom breaks, really. But one of those ones that is too big for like one human to realistically finish in a two-hour, mm. two-and-a-half-hour period. But I've, just, uh, I've got confidence usually at the beginning, but then you realize ice is usually halfway up, so it's not as much to yeah, uh, I, I like any drink that comes in a cup so big that as an adult you feel like a child holding it. You have to clasp it with both hands. Yeah. yeah, You do, yeah. You have to walk through and you've got to like tuck everything else in your arm. You've got to push the cinema door. All right, a giant Diet Coke yeah. and a cinema hot dog. Um, do, do, they have, uh, do they have cinemas uh, in Martinique that serve all of this or are you on a nostalgia journey right now, which is where you are. You're in, in Martinique in the Caribbean. Do they have... Do they have cinemas that offer these uh, these snacks? They do, but this this is going to go back to saying <laughs> secret falling asleep in cinemas. Um, that we've never been to the cinema here, and they'll also they'll be um, usually dubbed in French or um, have the French subtitles at the bottom. So I was desperate to go when the last Bond movie came out, and uh, it was too action packed for her. And being an English guy in a French speaking island is is not. There's not a lot of people that want to go and see a Bond movie and try and find the one that's like 9am in English. So, yeah, I, I, I'm yet to find out the delicacies within a, a Martinique cinema, but hopefully some local stuff. The local food is amazing. So as long as you like spicy food. Again, if you sit on the aisle, uh, you're fine. Uh, we're we're going to have to come back to the. At some point, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm going to interrogate you uh, about what the the uh, the snacks are in a cinema oh. in Martinique because yeah. I'm fascinated. I, I I doubt it is a hot dog with onion two ways. It'd probably be fish. I'll, I'll, I'll do some research. I'll get back to you on that. I promise. I had a, uh, a, a a shark and bake in in uh, in Trinidad once, which is uh, it's, I don't think it's actually shark. It's a, some kind of white fish, but it's like um, the most delicious kind of like uh, who knows? I don't even know what goes into it because I could never replicate it here. But it was shark like, and bake. Imagine imagine the the best filet fish you've ever had, and that's it. <laughs> it's not doing it justice. It's a it's a wonderful food. So, okay, uh, so yeah, that's good with me. All right, popcorn, sweet yeah. or salted. It's the mix, but I I would probably give a little nod to a bit more sweet. I like the touch of salty, but I would like majority sweet if I'm honest. And then I do quite like it when you get the sort of kernels at the bottom that haven't popped. So you can try and break a few teeth towards the end of the movie. When the credits are rolling, you can get them stuck in the teeth and just keep you going for a little while. I mean, yeah. Again, you and I should probably go to the cinema to, together, just because I, I, I've I've often sung the praises of of the, those kernels at the end when all the popcorn's gone. That you still want mm. to be chewing on something, yeah. Just crushing those between your teeth. That's yeah, so I satisfying. hate to admit that I bite my nails, and those little um, those little kernels just they they they're just they're a little bit sweet in there, but it's, and some have like slightly popped, and then they they've stopped as well. So you get a bit of both. I, I, you're putting me off them. 
Uh, I'm not going to lie. If you're comparing the, the chewing of kernels to the chewing of sweet and salty fingernails. Oh, sorry. No, I'm not chewing my fingernails. I, I meant if I'm, if I'm eating the kernels, it's stopping me t- biting my nails. Right. That was, right, sorry. right, right, right. Okay. I, didn't, I didn't clarify <laughs> that one very well. No, it's the, it's the thing that I'd rather sit there eating these kernels than n- nibbling it through a, a tense moment of a film. Sure, 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 sure. So, there's absolutely... There's, there's absolutely no comparison to be drawn between chewing the kernels at the end and chewing no. and chewing your fingernails. Right. No, not Good. at all. Not at all. Don't don't rob me of these small pleasures I have in life, Tommy, because <laughs> uh, I, I need them. Right, it's time to leave the foyer with our yeah. snacks, with our tickets ready, and we're going to walk down the corridor towards the auditorium. We're going to be putting up posters along the corridor that celebrate some of your most important movie memories. The first poster we're putting up depicts your fondest movie memory what is it it's it's the original jurassic park for me it i went to see it in the cinema uh when i was probably about seven or eight and it was just such such an experience that i remember driving home in the car my mum was driving i was a bit young then um and looking out the window for dinosaurs it i I, it felt so real and even watching it again now whenever it crops up on netflix or prime or something and it's there i'll still watch it and still have that same feeling and jeff goldblum anything that he anything he's in i'm just uh yeah i'll watch it yeah it was just this amount of wonder inside me when I, i left thinking so much is is possible so much can even though you know it's make believe really but you still believe it and that feeling will, will never leave really and if i can recreate that feeling watching any films then that's i guess that's all i aspire to do with me is to have that same sort of feeling if i'm watching a be it a marvel movie or something else is to have that sense of wonder again it really is one of those films and it doesn't apply to every film but it's one of those films that you can just drop in at any point and then go well i need to see the next scene oh yeah, i've seen that 100%. i need to see the next scene i need to see the next scene yeah yeah, definitely. Every every bit of it. And the T-Rex, the raptors, everything. And I've never read the book, actually. It's something I've always wanted to do to see how it, how it, um, how it compares. But Spielberg just knocks it out of the park, really. I think it um, – mm. and it's that whole – it's similar to Jaws. It's you don't often see the, the baddie, but you know he's there. It's the sound design that builds. It's the score. It's – well, everything in it just for me marries together to make pretty much a, a perfect film. And I only found out re- yeah. re- recently the boy in it is the guy who um, he was in Bohemian Rhapsody, who plays um, the bassist J- Joe. Oh, I can't pronounce his surname, I don't think, but I want to say Mazzello, but I think I may yeah, be wrong. It's but it is something M and Z somewhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. He plays John Deacon in Bohemian That's Rhapsody. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. He's great in that. It's it is this fan, fantastic film, and then. Um, on the subject of the book, in my humble opinion, much like Jaws, the the Peter Benchley novel, mm-hmm. uh, they're both good. Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park novel is good. It's a better film. It really is. I thought that I, might be I, the case. Be a, and is it, is John Williams, I think, scored it, didn't he? And um, can you replicate that? I, I can't read a book and replicate a John Williams score in my head when I'm reading it. If I could, then I, I should be doing. I should be writing scores, but. The, the, main, the main differences I remember from it is Gennaro, the lawyer, is actually much more heroic in the book. He's not such a cowardly villain. Yeah. And the uh, the death, um, John Hammond actually dies uh, in the book. Spoiler, oh. in case anyone's playing a read in the book. Um, <laughs> and he dies in a similar way to the guy in The Lost World. You know, when those tiny little dinosaurs yes, follow him around and yes, chase yes, him yes. and swarm onto him? That's how he, John Hammond meets ah, his end in the book. I thought you were saying he's going to die like the guy in the toilet. That would have been a really bad way for John Hammond. <laughs> I genuinely, it's it's a fear of mine. I never want to die naked <laughs> or on a toilet or in a silk dressing gown that's too short for me like Jack Palance in Batman the movie. Any of those are, are no-goes for me. Yeah, I, I agree on all, all parts, yeah. <laughs> We're putting up a poster for Jurassic Park. Right, yes, let's move down the corridor. We're going to put up a second poster. This poster is going to depict your worst movie memory. Gosh, now I've been trying to remember what film it was, um, but it's the only movie that I've ever left the cinema during, and it was a film, and I Googled and Googled and couldn't find it. It was about like aliens attacking L.A., and it had the actor from Scrubs in it. 
And oh, it's think, called uh, Sky Skyline, I believe yes. it's called. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that yeah. was it. And yeah, it it was just one of those ones. I sat there thinking, so many millions went into make this, and it just, I just couldn't. But like the dialogue, the acting, everything. It was just, I just, I left, and that was sadly. I've never left a cinema before, and that, I, don't, I hope never to again. But it just really didn't do it for me. I should say I can't. I can't. It maybe it deserved multiple Oscars and Razzies, but um, it, yeah, that was the worst one. So that's the one I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go into that cinema screen. Okay, Skyline. Yeah, if I remember correctly, because I, I have seen it, it's uh, it's basically if Independence Day yeah. was told from the perspective of a bunch of not particularly likable people yeah. sheltering in an apartment. That was it. That was it. Yeah, it, it it was like you'd seen everything before, every alien trope that they could have done. It tried to be funny in places and it wasn't. It tried to be scary and it really wasn't. It just wasn't. It didn't hit any notes for me and i was there with a mate of mine we used to make the most of those sort of two for one tickets on a monday i think it was and we just well actually we go to the pub and we went to the pub, <laughs> we to the pub and we had a lovely pint and it was better than i think the second half of the movie weirdly there is one good idea in that film and it doesn't happen until i think mid credits where <laughs> oh, the God. human the, the, the human hero ends up on the spaceship and gets transformed by the aliens into some sort of half alien killing machine and then he manages to kill loads of aliens but i'm pretty sure it's told in stills during the credits and you're like that that's the idea that's the climax that's the yeah. bit you want to get going oh well never mind yeah, but, yeah, that is the one um, that I'll, all right. I'll avoid. Apart from, I'll, I'll, I'll nip it at the end of the credit, credit sequence to watch that bit, and then I'll, I'll, I'll avoid the rest of it. Right, Skyline. The poster for Skyline is going up as your worst movie memory. <laughs> our third poster that we're putting up depicts the last film or performance that brought you to tears. It's one that I've watched hundreds of times, probably. It's, it's Man on Fire. Um, it's one that I just love. I have the DVD. I cherish the DVD. I have it on physical copy that I love it that much. It's just one that I think the screenplay is just magical. Christopher Walken in the beginning of it, Mickey Rourke, really brilliant. And then Denzel Washington does that whole, like, doesn't want to live, and then wants to live, and then sacrifices everything. And Dakota Fanning, I think also, I think I've, I've realized a lot of the films I love is when they find really, really good child actors. Like Dakota Fanning in it, like it 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 can completely um, elevate a film in, into magical realms for me. If like the Jurassic Park, Park, the kids were so good in it that you don't feel like they're straight out of acting school and they're reading lines. And Dakota Fanning in, in it is brilliant. And Mark Antony, who I only know from uh, some of his lovely cheesy uh, uh, songs when I went to Mexico. They're all uh, they play everywhere. But then he's in that and he plays a really good villain. He's really good in it. Actually. Yeah. And it, yeah, it just, you, I always, you obviously know what's going to happen, but the build is still, still there. He's on that revenge mission. And then you get to the end and she's hugging Creasy Bear. And ah, it's just, I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh, Creasy Bear. Yeah. Creasy bear. So uh, I'm assuming the bit that makes you cry is that the scene on the end, at the end, on the bridge where they do the trade and he gives himself over in return for and he's stumbling for, uh, he lets her go uh, free and then he knows that he's giving his life for hers and i don't know if you've ever seen because i have the dvd um uh, version of it there's an alternate ending where they've they've filmed where actually he's he i don't know if i'm allowed to do spoilers on this but um yeah he survives the car journey he doesn't die in, in the car journey after the bridge and he gets taken to the uh the the main Forgotten his name now. The main baddie's house, and he sits. The down. guy who you've only seen on the phone. The guy who's yes, always on the phone. Just, yeah, 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 yeah. And because that guy wants to be the one that kills him, but what Denzel has done, he's put that bomb that he, the guy that he's strapped to the bonnet of the car, and he put the bomb in a place you probably can't say. He's done yeah. that to himself, and and he he triggers it when he's in the house of the guy. So he kills the main guy and himself at the end. And that was the alternate ending. But I'm glad they didn't go with it because the one that they stuck with just has that 
Um, but it's they, they filmed it and everything, so you can watch it. But it doesn't have that power. I don't think you, you'd, I'd be there with tears streaming down my like ugly crying, <laughs> like I do when he's walking along that bridge and little uh, Peter, I think her name is, she runs into her mother's arms and ah, it's just it's, it's it's for me it's perfect. It's got that structure I love. It's got the arcs I love. It's yeah, it's everything that I'd want to emulate in a in a screenplay. It's it's a great film. That ending, um, I, I, I'm sort of fifty fifty on it. Half of me does want you kind of want the big bad to die. You kind of yeah. want Denzel to take out the guy who's caused all of this, but you don't really want your hero to have a butt bomb. So I think <laughs> <Yeah>. that, uh, <laughs> I think the butt that bomb. You, yeah, maybe not. You're always going to be like, but he put a butt, bomb up his <laughs> bum. So you're, you're, that's gonna that's gonna be your lasting memory. No, yeah. Denzel got the guy. Yeah. I'm trying to think, is it, is it Ridley Scott or Tony Scott? I think maybe Tony Scott did that one. Mm, um, yeah. The late, the late great. Um, but yeah, for me, that's that's the one. I know I know that I'm going to bore my eyes out at the end. I know I'm going to love it. I'm going to, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, that's the one for me. It's my go-to. Uh, fantastic. I'll, as we're putting up a poster for Man on Fire, um, surprisingly uh, poorly reviewed at the time. It doesn't, I think it's got yeah. something stupid like 34% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is bewildering when you actually look at the film and it's, I, everyone seems to love it, including yeah. Denzel Washington's wife. It's her favorite <laughs> really? film of his. That's my yeah. fact, yeah. I guess that one is, it, it didn't get the acclaim, but I think, I think it was brilliant. I, mean, I thought it was a great performance as well. 100%. Right then, our final poster. We've got room for just one more before we get to the auditorium. Yeah. And this is going to depict your unpopular movie opinion. Now, I know this is going to be unpopular. And in a world of being cancelled, you just have to tread so carefully. But I'm going to go for it anyway. Uh, and actually mentions a film I mentioned earlier. It's, it's Bohemian Rhapsody. And my unpopular opinion is that I don't think Rami Malek deserved an Oscar for Bohemian Rhapsody. And I know it's unpopular. I know people are going to go, but he didn't sing. And I, I, I know it's an acting performance and that's what you get the Oscar for. But so carefully through his sort of late night TV show things, he danced around saying whether he was singing or not. And everyone's like, wow, Rami Malek can sing like Freddie Mercury. And it's like, oh, he, he can't because they got in a guy called Mark Martel to do the singing who can sound exactly like Freddie Mercury. And then he mimed and... Did, but he did great performances. They're like, yeah, but no Hollywood actor is going to be able to sing like a superstar. And I go, have you seen Rocket Man? Have you seen Taron Egerton? <laughs> he learned how to sing like Elton John. And I know it's a different voice. And Freddie Mercury is a, it's almost a once in a lifetime kind of voice. But I kind of uh -huh. felt that an impersonation of someone when and then you mime when they're singing. I don't know if that was worthy of an Oscar. And it's unpopular. I know but it's just my unpopular opinion. Is, is, is part of the thing that uh, you don't like, the, 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 the deception, the idea that rather than just say, look, I hold my hands up, I didn't yeah. sing, he should have done that, rather than sort of like uh, allow this kind of, this mist, this fog to envelop the truth and him not him playing on that as part of his Oscar campaign, which obviously, well, as we well, know, is a thing. big it's, part of trying to get an Oscar. It's the Oscar campaign. He, he couldn't ever come out and say, oh yeah, we've got a sound alike in, and I just do the other bits and then he does the singing. But instead they came out mm. and said, the, 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 the vocals are shared between Mark and Rami, which sort of implies that, he can hit those ginormous notes and those sort of acoustic sounding moments when they're um, in the uh, recording booths are him when it's not. It just, I remember watching it. I loved the movie. Don't get me wrong. I thought it was a brilliant movie and it got me back onto the back catalogue of Queen again. But um, I just saw it when it came out next to Rocket Man. I was so impressed with, with Taron Egerton learning to play the piano, learning to sing all those specific ways that Elton does. It becomes more than just doing an impersonation of someone, which don't I, I love impersonations. That's my favorite thing hmm. in the world. And Rami does a really good Freddie Mercury impression, but I just, I thought Taron, I, I think he picked up the Golden Globe, Taron did for it. Taron, like I know, I'm sorry. Um, but um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I, I felt maybe if it was between those two, I would have given it to 
Mr. Egerton. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, let, let, let's, let's just go through this. Let's uh, because obviously uh, these are the people who were up for the Oscar alongside uh, Rami yeah. Malek that year. I just want to see if there's someone who you feel maybe lost out when yeah. he was awarded the Best Actor. So you got Christian Bale for Dick Cheney in Vice, yes. Bradley Cooper for his role in A Star Is Born, uh, Willem Dafoe as Vincent Van Gogh in At Eternity's Gate, and yes. Viggo Mortensen. For Green Book, is there someone you would prefer to have picked up that Oscar in place of Rami Malek? You know, I I, I know Christian Bale's won a few, but I I did think Vice was brilliant. He completely embodied Vice, like physically, and I don't think he did any prosthetics. I think he genuinely gained all that weight, which is like obviously the classic Christian Bale thing to do. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that was brilliant. Um, a Star is Born, I loved, but I, I think I read that something went wrong on the on the Oscar campaign trail with Bradley Cooper, and that's why he was sort of snubbed on the director side of it and on the actor side. But again, his performance in it was brilliant, but again, and that's the third rendition of A Star is Born, I think. So, um, ah, I, yeah, if it was me, I probably would have gone Christian Bale. Yeah, I really enjoyed Vice. I, I thought I thought Vice was uh, was uh, was very enjoyable, and Christian Bell is good in it. I probably though I don't. I mean, it, it's weird when you talk about Oscar campaigns because you never know. Like it, it's such yeah. a uh, it's such an industry, a little sort of mini industry that happens. Yeah. You know, from literally today when the uh, well yesterday when the nominations came out, right up until you know voting closes. So it's yeah. it's a fascinating sort of part of the process. But um, but I did think. Um, I mean, honestly, talking about performances that make you cry. Oh, Bradley Cooper in a star in a star is born. It's, oh, oh it just gets me every time. Yeah, that's same. And what a soundtrack! He won a Grammy as well. Funny enough, I do love those sort of. I run an award, so I love award random trivia. And who has <laughs> which random people have Grammys? And he picked one up for the soundtrack. So he's a he's a Grammy award winner, which is a pretty cool. Oh well, we're putting up a poster for Bohemian Rhapsody as our. Picture for your most unpopular <laughs> opinion. So, I know it's unpopular. I'm sorry. Hey, I I love a big swing for that question, <laughs> and I respect that. I respect it. Okay, we've arrived at the last set of doors. Now, as always, there was a bunch of people in the foyer. They're queuing up at the doors. They're interested to know whether they can come in with you and Sigrid to watch the movie. Mm. It'll be a busy cinema, but they can mm. be quiet if you want them to be quiet. Do you want to invite them in? Do you want to have a shared experience? Yes, if, if I could be like a headmaster at the, the beginning and I'll, I'll sort of scold them and say, if anyone makes any noise, you're going to be going out. If, if anyone, everyone just was on the same wavelength that they want to enjoy a movie and not talk or their phones go off, then I'm 100% down for it. Well, this is the one noise they're making. They're going wild and you're letting them in. From here on in, they are going to be on best behavior. So the first thing we're going to play on the big screen for our well-behaved crowd is... The trailer for the film you're most looking forward to. What trailer are we playing? Nolan's new, next one. Oppenheimer. This is Oppenheimer. Yeah. No, this is this is well, this is something that a lot of people are picking at the moment. Why are oh, you excited? I just think he's one of the best storytellers with a camera there is. Uh, I I admire incredibly his lack of use of green screen and how he loves to do practical effects. Maybe that comes back a bit towards like the Jurassic Park thing, how they did actual prosthetics rather than, than doing green screen back then. Um, it, his casting is always sublime. And uh, it's often this, the same faces crop up, but I think you'll never leave a film of his without asking yourself questions on the way home about it. And I think if you, when I'd stand on the tube going home, and if I'm still thinking about that movie, like when I left Inception, like everybody else, I'm just there thinking about it and thinking all the questions. And like you think, oh God, I need to watch that again. And if I think if a filmmaker can do that for you, and the same, I watched uh, Tenet. And if I'm honest, it didn't quite do it for me, but I watched it again because it, it left me with questions and I wanted to know more. And I think that's an incredible attribute for a filmmaker to have that, yeah, if you can put on a spectacle, you can do big explosions. You can do a Michael Bay-esque Transformers um, kind of film. I shouldn't laugh when I say Hollywood film. It made loads of money. But um, the first two I loved. Um, but ones that you that have all the spectacle of Hollywood, all the big names, but it still leaves you with questions about it and thinking about it for days and days and weeks after. Um, and I think he always produces produces that Um so that's why I'm looking forward to it, because I think it will be a, a mm. sublime production throughout, not just visually, but the cast, the, the, the script, everything. It will be a, a real production. 
Um, do you have a, a favorite Nolan movie, either from the experience of watching it or the way it made you feel afterwards? Is there one film that sort of stands out from his incredible CV of movies? I, th- I think Interstellar probably is the one that I'd go to first with Dark Knight close behind, but maybe Interstellar because I love Hans Zimmer so much. Um, and I think he brought so much to that film. And I always do all the behind the scenes afterwards and I've gone all the YouTube videos and Hans Zimmer saying that he was asked to write the piece without having seen any of the film or knowing anything about it. And then Nolan goes and writes the screenplay, listening to that music and just those collaborations just excite me. And like as a, as a filmmaker myself, in some sense, those things are what I love about the creative process is that people can create that sort of stuff together, be inspired. And Interstellar seemed to be one of those ones that had everything time travel and space, but had a family story and it had the future and Matthew McConaughey crying desperately at the screen in a, in a performance that I could have been another unpopular opinion. I thought he was better in Interstellar than potentially from um, Dallas Buyers Club. But, oh, so, interesting. Yeah, let's not go, we don't go there. Sorry, too many unpopular film opinions. No, 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 it's, no it's, it's good. It's good. I think, you know, it, it, it begs that question, which I, I, I think is happening less. Although I don't know really where Oscar go. What, a, what an incredible physical transformation! And says they, they are in love with physical transformation. Um, right, Oppenheimer is the trailer we're playing. Okay, warming this audience up. Yeah. Next up, we're playing your favorite shot or sequence from a movie. Okay, it's quite a specific one, um, and it's from a film called Local Hero. If you know Local Hero. Um, it's one back from, I want to say back 80, oh, I'm sorry, 80s. It's got a very uh, young Peter Capaldi in it. It's got Burt Lancaster in it. It's about, uh, uh, well, um, I'm, I'm sure your listeners will, will Google it to save me giving a, a crap synopsis about it. Um, but but give, us a, a, give me a synopsis. I'm, I'm interested to know roughly what it's okay. about. Texan oil company want to go and buy a small Scottish um, coastal village that they can turn into a factory and just sort of decimate it. And they're sending someone over there to convince the locals that they need to sell their property so that they can create this oil refinery, um, essentially. And he gets sent over there. um, And the long story short is he realizes this place is just completely magic. The people are wonderful. And he starts to fall in love with it, fighting. He wants to make the money and everything like that. But he eventually falls in love with it. Um, and at one point in the film, he, the, his boss who sends him over there wants him to, to look at the, the, the stars in the sky because he's very into astronomy. Um, and the, the northern lights faintly appear in the sky. And the scene that I love so much is the, 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 the lead character is um, in a phone box, those old phone boxes, very drunk after a sort of Scottish... Um, Gailey, Haley, Gailey. Those dancing mm. parties they have in Scotland with kilts on. And he's trying to describe the Northern Lights to his boss, and he's just emotional and blown away by it, and can't quite describe it. And it's just, it's just a sense of wonder in it. And it's, I love it. It's, it's simple. It's just well delivered. And it, yeah, it's just something that I, yeah, it, it warm, warms, warms my heart. That scene. I don't know it. I've never seen this film. I'm going to go and watch worth, it worth after this. Watch. Sounds- really worth a watch. Picked up a couple of BAFTAs, I think, back in the day. Um, okay. It, it became a bit of a, a cult film. Mark Commode, I think it's his favorite film of all time. Um, oh. All right. Then. Again, it's not one that's going to have fireworks and there's not going to be any um, Michael Bay Ferraris off bridges, but it's just a really gentle film. And um, I won't tell you the ending, actually. Um, I'll watch it with, with fresh eyes. Yeah, I know. I feel guilty now, though, because I'm always like, yeah, we do spoilers, but if it's a movie I haven't seen, I'm like, no, yeah. no, 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 that's no, enough. <laughs> I think because it is one of my favorite movies of all time, I think you do have to watch it. Um, but it's it's a it's a gentle one, and I, I, I love the, the gentle movies particularly, especially it's got lovely coastlines in it. Again, it comes back to my photography. Coastlines, and it's a lovely picturesque place, and it's and yeah, I think it was Peter Capaldi's first film role, and you and we had him. He picked up the, an award at the uh, uh, the short film awards a couple of years ago. He always talked about how much he overacts in it. So when you watch it, you'll see him like going, "Oh, what's the time? Oh, I'm late." <laughs> like classic sort of like school 
uh, stage production acting. But um, apart from that, it's it's brilliant. Okay, we're playing the scene involving the phone box and drunkenly trying to describe the Northern Lights from yeah. local hero. That's it. Right. Uh, now, our audience are being very well behaved, uh, as requested, Tommy. So as a gift, uh, yeah. you've printed out T-shirts for them with your yeah. favorite movie quote on the front. <laughs> what is the movie quote? Okay, well, I, I thought about this one because I'm pretty sure – a lot of people are going to do the you can't handle the truth the name's bond all the classics um and i there's one that i've always loved and i'm if i try and do my best impression of it can you guess can you try and guess who and what film it is uh, i mean this is putting a lot on me and you but yes mm. let's roll with it go for it yeah <clears throat> come on donna why waste a good wedding <laughs> wait uh so it's al pacino i love that my impression went straight to al pacino that was in no way who the person was but yeah we... <laughs> I got, at least it was a man i guess my impression if i can get whether it's a man or a woman then that's probably i should be proud of that oh, you put too much on me tell me who who is it what is it's, it i can't it, guess it it's, i don't know it's, it's pierce brosnan at the end of mamma mia the first one <laughs> when they they like all they're all leaving the wedding and then he just turns to Donna he turns to Meryl Streep and says Donna why waste a good wedding and they just <laughs> I just it's always made me chuckle it's it's a film where you've got these big actors just being silly and it, uh, again it's just a happy film and if you watch it he stands up Donna how are you. Why waste a good? Yeah, it sounds like Apogee. I'm hearing it now that I'm saying it's, it. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah. I actually thought the opposite that time. The second time, I was like, <laughs> "Oh no, no, no!" Now you said, "Now you said Pierce Brosnan." I'm done like, "Yes, any given Aaron. Sunday." I'm now thinking about Al Pacino. I should have put in any given Sunday somewhere in there. I missed it. So, so wait. Do the quote again for me. Do the quote again for me one more time. Uh, in, in, in Pierce in Brosnan. Full, in full Pierce I'm, Brosnan. I'm, <clears throat> okay. I'm closing my eyes. Yeah. Donna, why waste a good wedding? It's absolutely brilliant. Now I, I take it all back. I'm, I'm, I'm so convinced. I think that was on me. I was wrong. Yeah, I thought I was thinking wedding. I thought the Godfather, yeah. and then I just went in Al Pacino. Yeah. But well, no, that's why I thought. I, I feel most people will try and do like a really impressive favorite quote from a movie, and they'll do the Godfather. They'll do something like that. You come to me on my daughter's wedding. I wanted to go slightly, slightly out of the out of line on that one. Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. I'm a yeah, yeah, uh, that's great. Donna, why waste a good wedding yeah. from Mamma Mia on the T-shirts? Yeah. All right, the final thing. The final okay. thing we're going to do just before we screen the movie you've picked for us tonight is play your favorite song or score from a film. Okay, we're nipping back to what I mentioned earlier. We're going to Local Hero, which um, I'm so pleased you've not watched this now because you've got a real treat mm. in store. Because the the soundtrack and score is done by Mark Knopfler of the one and only Dice oh, really? Um Yeah. And I think what is so great is that it's just so, so f fresh. It, it was his first score, I think. Um, and he approached it without any of that baggage that comes with previous knowledge of movies and, and what you're meant to do. And he just went to the location and just wrote what he felt. And it's... It's got sort of, it's got great guitar solos, but it also has these Scottish hints in it. And I, I think it's so good that he still plays it on tour. It's, um, oh, wow. It, it's really, it's, yeah, it just makes the film. Again, another sort of Jurassic Park thing, but the score um, elevates the film even further. And I think this one particularly does. Right. Well, I've got uh, I got my uh, my evening sorted uh, watching Local Hero, picking out yeah. that favorite scene of yours and listening to the score. Brilliant stuff. It, I'm very sorry, Alex, for wasting your evening, but it's no, I'll it, never so. tell you. I'll never <laughs> tell really you. I'll just, oh, I'll, be, I'll be like, oh, yeah, no, I definitely <laughs> saw that movie. Yeah. Uh, right then. It is now time to announce to our excited and very, very well behaved audience mm -hmm. in this auditorium the movie you've decided to screen for us tonight. The movie out of all movies that you want to be the climax for tonight. What is it? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are watching Goldeneye with Pierce Brosnan. 
<laughs> oh. I, I just wanted a whole hour and a half of, of Pierce Brosnan, then I can do the impressions afterwards, obviously. It, was, it is just, I'm the biggest Bond fan. I, I love all of its ridiculousness. And GoldenEye for me was just that moment before we came into the new age. If we forget a few of the Brosnan Bonds, maybe. And before we came to Casino Royale, GoldenEye for me was just the pinnacle. I was at that age where it was like babes, Ferraris, super yachts, all the cool things, helicopters. And it was just, I've always loved it. And just, yeah, it ticks all the boxes for me. Um, Every single bomb box there is. So are you saying uh, of all Bond movies, GoldenEye is your favorite Bond movie? Yes, I'm saying it on the, on the record. Probably another unpopular opinion of mine. But yeah, GoldenEye for me. I I I I I don't dis well it's it, it's in the top three for me. I, yeah. I think the spy who loved me tips it. Uh, the spy who loved me just there's something about like ships eating submarines and and that whole yes. underwater Atlantis base yes. that I quite like. But that's still not about me. We're doing GoldenEye, so of course it's I all guess coming it came back with to me the now. game as well on the N64 that I have, which gave it even even more love. Which I've just seen they're releasing on the Nintendo Switch, which I have one of those little Nintendo Switches, and it comes out in like three yeah. days. They've redone Goldeneye really? in better quality. Um, <laughs> and I, I saw it yesterday. I was like, oh, I'm so excited about that, just to sort of relive my youth a little bit more through those. And yeah, it just it was it was brilliant. And who's that? Who's the actress? I've completely forgotten. Uh, Famke Janssen as Zena the, Onotop. Yeah, Zena yeah, Onotop. Yeah, yeah. Still, like when when the Bond girls had those names, were a little bit like mm, Onotop, and she did the leg but, squeeze. But, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But before it jumped the shark, uh, because I, I think it was only a couple of movies later, or maybe even the next movie. No, not the yeah. next movie. That was Tomorrow Never Dies. Uh, the one after, The World Is Not Enough, where literally uh, Denise Richards' character is called Doctor Christmas just for the joke. <laughs> I thought Christmas came only once a year, and you're like, really? It was a really, and she really was good. She was evil in it, but she had this sort of mm. like you kind of loved her, but she was also just yeah. You could see why that sort of. The, the captain of the ship, the guy who looked a bit like the Monopoly man, just just gave in and got squeezed. <laughs> yeah, squeezed to death. Breathe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and of course, then you've also you've got uh, the brilliant Alan Cumming. Uh, yes. I'm invincible. <laughs> the brilliant one, and I, I, but was that in the one of the the last of the original Q, whose name completely eludes me now? Um, Desmond Llewellyn. Yes, yeah. I think he was still, and when Piers was. Still, um, they'd have that bit of banter down in the uh, in the car garage before John John Cleese took over. I think John Cleese did one movie. John Cleese uh, did one movie uh, at the end where he did. Uh, didn't he do Die Another Day? And then everyone went, No, 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 no. no, no. We're starting again. Everything's gone yeah. wrong. And now we now Paddington Bear is is Q, which is the best casting in the world. Ben oh yeah, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, uh, and I will, I, I, I will say as well. I do think Tina Turner's "Golden Eye" song is yeah. one of the best Bond songs. Yeah. Oh, I've just, I've got another unpopular opinion. That was the one I should have mentioned. Oh god, Sam Smith's Spectre. I don't like when you've got a, a Bond movie called "A View to a Kill," and um, Duran Duran can get "A View to a Kill" into the name of the song. And I don't think Spectre's theme tune even has the word Spectre in it. And I kind of feel like a Bond film should, you've just got to shoehorn it in there somehow. And it didn't. Yeah. So I think it should just, it should have been voided for, um, not that it wasn't a great song. Um, they are not a, a fantastic uh, singer, but I felt maybe they should have just put Spectre somehow. It would have rhymed with get, get, get her, get you. <laughs> maybe it wouldn't I, have made I, I, it quite. As good. It's trifecta. <laughs> there you yes. go. There we go. Done. Yeah. I mean, and then you look at Tina Turner's Goldeneye, and I'm pretty sure every line starts with Goldeneye. <laughs> exactly how every a Bond theme should be. Yeah. <laughs> or diamonds are forever. <laughs> that's, that's all they need to do is like, can you sing the name of the film? Yes. Then you've got the part. Yeah, that's it. The Living Daylights. Yeah. Great. That's brilliant. <laughs> You're, You're in. in. Yeah. 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 Anyone can do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, what a movie to end tonight on. We haven't had a Bond movie finishing off our night ah. yet. So this is a first. That's absolutely brilliant. Oh, the curtains are closing. The guests are milling out, smiling, chatting, still very quietly because they're in the cinema about 
how much fun they've had on the trip you've taken them to the movies. Sigrid didn't fall asleep. She loved it as well. But, Tommy, before you go, it's time for this week's mystery question as we ask, what's in the box? Show you with the box. What was in the box? Oh, what's in the box? Okay. Immersive theatre. Opening box. Here we go. So your question is, Oh, as a man who has hung out of helicopters and planes, <laughs> capturing some astonishing photographs, yeah. what is your favorite stunt you've ever seen in a movie? Oh, I've just I've gone straight question. To, the, to the Bond movies for a second. I, I, I was on a slight tangent. It was to do with stunts. I was actually in Game of Thrones in the final season. Not that I really? was the, not that I was the reason that it was terrible. I was, uh, as you might guess, I was a Dothraki. I was the I was the Dothraki in it. Um, but I was next to a stunt lady when she snapped her femur jumping off a roof, and I just ah! had so much respect for stunt people. You kind of think, oh, they fall on some boxes. Maybe it's not that bad. But oh my god, they're incredible human beings. Yeah. So maybe some of the stuff from Game Did of you- Thrones. <laughs> Gosh. Did you hear it snap or did you just... The whole set, we were in Winterfell and it was the middle of the night and it just, everyone was like, yep, the blue lights are coming, the ambulance is here. She's, and they're like, well, she's getting loads of money. I was like, I don't think she's caring about that now. Her leg's in 17 pieces. But, um, oh, man. It was, um, was it a big jump? Was it, was it a, what was the enough, stunt was she was a, doing? It was like just off like the first sort of level of where they were like throwing arrow, uh, throwing spears at people. She was going to just roll off a roof, but um, she just landed badly and just snapped like a branch, just snapping. It was horrible. Oh, 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 yeah, oh, 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 oh. So were you there for the Battle of Winterfell then? Was that, the, was was, that what actually, you were shooting I, there? I crop up just afterwards when we're sort of all um, sort of figuring out how many people of our armies have lost. And we're in a big meeting in, uh, in the, uh, the basement of Winterfell. And all the, in my first day ever on set, being a huge Game of Thrones fan, and they're like, right, this is you today. I was like, oh, okay, I am the leader of the Dothraki, am I? Okay, good. And I'm, sat, I'm stood next to uh, Kit Harrington and Peter Dinklage and Amelia and all the gang around them. I'm like, this just is not happening. You kind of, I think, <laughs> I, I do like, like Michael McIntyre's, that sort of Friday night where they just, the door opens and they pull you out yeah. on stage. You go, oh, it's all a joke, mate. Yeah, you're not really in Game of Thrones. But yeah, it was um, a surreal <laughs> experience. But um, uh, yeah, that was just after Winterfell. And um, and then I knew from then the ending, which like you get sworn to secrecy that you can't tell the ending. But as the ending was uh, not quite, I think, how they imagined. No, no. I, I, George, uh, George R. Martin hasn't written his book. I don't think he's still finished it now. So they were like, well, we're going to have to make something <laughs> up. And you're like, make, yeah. make up something better, though. So, so you knew. You knew. Everything. I knew everything, yeah. I knew everything. Did you think they told you a fake ending like they sometimes do? Going, yeah, this is the ending, and you were like, oh, okay, and you were like, it won't be that because that's not very good. It'll be something else. They've yeah, just told I us that. Did to, to- but I was so scared of like the NDA that you sign and like the numbers of the, the numbers of zeros at the end if you if you somehow get found out that you've said something. I was like, no, I'm not telling yeah. anybody what happens. And also, I, being a fan, I thought that this the final season was going to be as massive as the ones before, and if anyone knew the ending, it would ruin that surprise. So I'm going to I'm going to assume the uh, your favourite stunt uh, isn't uh, a, a poor stunt person breaking their femur. What, have we decided what your favourite stunt is? <laughs> um, I love um, it's going back to, uh, to to Bond. Actually, I love the cable car scene with Jaws and Bond when they're it, it looks completely real, and I think that's what I love about it. And they're 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 going along the railings now. I want to. I'm trying to think. I think it's it Roger Moore. Uh, it's um, Roger Moore, and I think the film's is the film is Moonraker, isn't it? Is that, that well the one it, it happens? Yeah. And I just remember it just being big, and I think I'd been going on, I'd been on a ski school ski trip, I think, um, and just being so scared of heights uh, then to think how these people had done it and jumped around and fought, and um, that was still the one that as soon as you said what was my favourite stunt, that was the one that sprung to mind. So I think I'll stick with that one. That's great. I, I, I remember watching that scene as a kid and going, this is terrifying. Yeah. I think I'm actually scared of cable cars because of that scene, perhaps. <laughs> that makes sense. Oh, right, Tommy, that is it. Your taxi has arrived to ferry you back to reality. But before you leave, let's recap your perfect night out at the cinema. You are going with your fiance Sigrid at midday. You are sitting in the centre, but on the aisle. You are having... 
a cinema hot dog, a giant Diet Coke, and a mixed popcorn with some kernels at the bottom to chew on as you please. You are putting up a poster for Jurassic Park, Skyline, Man on Fire, and Bohemian Rhapsody. We are watching the trailer for Oppenheimer, followed by the sequence from Local Hero, where he describes the Northern Lights while drunk in a phone box. We are putting the quotes... I'm not going to do it, but Donna, why waste a wedding on a T-shirt for our guest? We're yeah. listening to Mark Knopfler's score from Local Hero before ending the night by screening GoldenEye. Yeah. Tommy, thank you for taking us on this trip. Have you had a good time? I loved it. I want to have that that experience tomorrow. It sounds heavenly. Thank you very much for having me and letting me remember some things I've completely forgotten about film. So, yeah, it's been a, been a real treat. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Have a lovely rest of your day. Thank you and bye-bye. Thank you. And as Tommy's cab carries him away from our virtual cinema, off into the distance, it's your chance to win a pair of tickets for a night out at a very real Odeon cinema. As I said at the start, the lovely people at Odeon have given us a pair of tickets to give away every week, and if you'd like the chance of getting these tickets, all you have to do is leave us a review of the show or a comment on our socials. You can leave a review on whichever podcast platform you use, be it Apple Podcasts or other, or you can get in touch on any of our socials, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok where we are at Trip to Movies Pod. The competition is only open to UK residents and the tickets exclude Odeon Leicester Square and Odeon Lux. And just before I say my final farewell for this episode, don't forget you can find the full ad-free video interview for today's Tommy Clark episode and indeed every guest we've ever had on the show on our trip to the movies Patreon, as well as early access to the podcast too. And if you'd like to get a taste of those video interviews, subscribe to our trip to the movies YouTube channel. And that really is it. I'll be back next week when another guest takes us on a trip to the movies. Bye-bye.